0: are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, CC Broadus. The Auxiliary Gate, big promise. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 110 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus. And we made a few changes this week. Uh, We wanted to add some spice to the podcast. And the only way we could do that, according to this person, was to remove Brandon Jaggers for one week and just move him aside. And that's exactly what we did. We we decided to class the place up. We brought in Caitlin Free. Caitlin Free is going to educate us on a few things a little bit later in the show. Kaitlin, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you guys doing?
0: Absolutely wonderful. And also the mainstay uh, to my left is Alan Schneider. How are you doing, Alan?
2: I am great. I took a spot down the chain because I know what I know. I know what I don't know. And the topic tonight I don't know anything about. But the person we brought in, our good friend Caitlin, does. So we moved her up the food chain to co-host status. Sorry, Brandon. She's got you beating on a lot of levels, pal. <laughs> Brandon's in Poor New Brandon. he, uh-huh. he
0: attended the Belmont Stakes on Saturday. And I believe he's at a Yankees-Cubs game today. And he'll be flying home. I think he's flying home right now as we record this. But let's, uh, let's get right into it, guys. Uh, let's talk about yesterday's Belmont Stakes. Not the greatest renewal, not not a triple crown on the line, but it was still a, a, a interesting race, say the least. We've got Red Strike coming off a, a Kentucky Derby winning effort where he skipped the Preakness. There's a handful of other horses in here. A horse like We the People looked like Lone Speed. We had a filly in the race in Nest, but it turned out it was the uh, the favorite Mo Donegal that uh, won fairly handily for uh, for Todd Fletcher. Uh, Caitlin, uh, let's 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 go to you first. Any thoughts on the uh, this year's renewal of the Belmont?
1: I think you pretty much covered all of it. Not the best renewal when it comes to you know class, I guess, with the three year olds. I would say that maybe be the wrong way to put it, but I think a lot of it that really took my wind out of the sails for this year was I was really excited about the huge you know upset of Rich Strike in the Kentucky Derby. I thought it was you know, exceptionally special, especially for connections like that, and then for people to just be so mad that he didn't run in the Preakness, and then when he ran the way, you know, he did in the Belmont for it to be like, well, he didn't have that hot pace to run into. These are big sweeping turns this is a deep surface. I didn't think Rich Strug would win the race. I thought he'd maybe do a little bit better than he did, but for people to be like, I told you so, this is a one-hit wonder, like, it just kind of took it away from me for, like, this whole Triple Crown, just, like, Focusing on negative things instead of fo- focusing on positives, and you know, as you know, I've said before in the past, this may not be the strongest group of three-year-olds. So, I, I, it, I don't, I don't know how to feel about all of it in the end. But wasn't my favorite edition of the races this year? But we saw some impressive performances on the card, and Bo Donegal was far and away the best horse in the race yesterday, and I thought Nest was exceptional too.
0: Yeah, Nest. Uh... It surprised me during the race. She, she bobbled a little bit coming out of the gate. and I don't think they got the position they wanted to immediately, but uh, immediately I thought of Rags to Riches because she stumbled out of the gate when she won her Belmont with curling several years ago. And uh, but Nest, uh, you know, she lived up to her backers' uh, uh, beliefs and, and, and finished well. Uh, that was uh, quite the quite the performance going twelve furlongs. Uh, Alan, uh, Rich Strike. I'm going to give him a pass. Watching the race, excuse me, watching the pre-race, walking to the gate, he was very highly agitated. And I think we finally know, that that's kind of his personality to some extent, but he was he was upset at something. He was uh bucking a little bit and and you know, really throwing his head around. I, I think this horse has probably got some uh anger issues to say the least. Uh, probably something that gelding him Cure, but that's probably not an option for this guy. But uh, uh, your immediate thoughts uh, uh, after uh, the day after the Belmont Stakes?
2: Well, number one, my dog's howling in the background. I'm like, I'm just going to leave her alone. She, she's enjoying herself. So if you guys hear that, that's the world of podcasting. Until I can mute myself when I'm not talking, so deal with it. Uh, but number two, I want to echo, I don't think Caitlin could have said it any better my thoughts. I mean, she basically said my thoughts verbatim. I guess that's why we get along. Uh, more than anything else, I'll get to the performances in a minute, but I am disappointed, dismayed that people take such pleasure in rich strike being, quote unquote, the one hit wonder. Well, I, I tell you, there's a lot of people who had uh, giant hits that only hit one time. They had one more hit than I did. Right. Right. Um, I don't understand finding such pleasure in that. It, I, I cannot cannot agree with her more. It takes it's like congratulations. He you you he didn't win the Belmont. Congratulations. He won the Derby. They will no matter what you say, it will never take that away from him. They will never take it away. It happened. He, he won it fair and square. He did not fire in the in the Belmont. That's understandable. Actually, a few horses didn't fire. I would argue the only two horses that did fire were the top two finishers, right? Uh will stride out beautifully late. Uh, Ness had to turn a foot in the twelfth furlong. And I thought those were really the only two horses that really ran, to be honest with you. Uh, so the, to, to take such pleasure in Rich Strike not running well, it's I find it problematic more than anything from a societal standpoint. I don't know. Um, so I, mean, I couldn't agree with Caitlin more on that.
0: So let's talk about the undercard. The undercard might have actually overshadowed the race itself. I mean, yeah, I'm pointing at one horse in particular, and that was Flightline, who won the Met Mile fairly easily after some trouble at the start and he turned away one of the uh probably the best the second best miler in the country in speaker's corner and kind of ran him into the ground so that was uh one of the best efforts i've seen here in a while caitlin what where does flight line rank on your uh on your radar as far as uh maybe uh best horses last 20 years
1: I think I maybe need to see him one more time. I want to see him maybe a little bit more consistently because I think that's been a huge problem. You know, it's not his fault that he has injuries and John Sadler doesn't shift that he does what he set out to do and where they put him. And he's done it quite well. Yesterday's performance was a good spot, you know, for me to really kind of be a believer. Cause I thought he was obviously exceptional in his three races last year, but for him to have been off for six months to ship, to have that time off and to face a field that he faced, you know, speaker's corner, happy saver, no slouches, Aloha West Breeders' Cup winner, obviously, and nothing went right for that horse in the race. He broke last, stumbled a little bit at the break, um, kept trying to get by speaker's corner and clear him earlier. And Junior Alvarado rode a hell of a race, I will tell you that, because he shut the door on Flightline every opportunity he did. Mm-hmm. Every time Flightline tried to come by, he was like, nope, nope. So they did everything they could to get flight line beat. And he still won by open links at that one turn mile distance at a track that's deep and tiring. So everything yesterday said he should have lost that race and he won impressively. So color me impressed. Um, I'm anxious to see where he goes from here. If you know, he has a few more starts up until the breeders cup, maybe it'll just be one who knows. I'm anxious to see where he goes, but to be honest, the horse he reminds me of mostly is ghost sapper. Yeah. Right. Now, that would that would kind of be who I would compare him to, and I mean, other than you know maybe American Pharaoh Beholder, somebody just an exceptional talent like that. It's been an extremely long time since we've seen a horse of this caliber, and to do it on the biggest stages and not just be doing it in like little piddly races.
0: If you could, if if they announced one more start prior to the Breeders' Cup, and you could choose, where would you want to? go with flight line
1: i personally would like to see him in the whitney versus life is good i think that may be too quick but if they want to you know just maybe do just one more race which i would hope they would maybe do whitney then maybe pacific classic and then go to the classic because it's going to keep continuing to step him up and trip but i really want to see him in the whitney versus life is good
0: I agree. I I texted Alan after the race. Uh, I thought this. I said this horse is better than Ghost And uh, wow. So, yes.
2: Yeah, so. I was finally. I was finally a believer. I've been kind of holding my my thoughts. I think people might just try to anoint horses superstars way too quickly. I wanted to see him come cross country. And I will tell you, ten seconds after that race started, I thought he was beaten. You let a horse the quality of Speakers Corner, who I do believe is a fantastic miler. You spot him a head start, you give him a little bit of trouble, and I didn't think the fractions were crazy. I thought speakers, if you, I would have taken money. Speakers corner would have won that race ten seconds into the race, and he, and flight line broke him a little bit. I mean, happy saver went by him easily, but I mean, happy saver like she says no slouch. But man, you you go by a horse like speakers corner who of everything was on way. I was I was impressed. I gotta say it.
0: So let's talk about some of the other undercard races. Anything else strike your fan? Can't see either one of you, uh, you know, we had Jack Christopher Clarier, Monterey won the acorn after Echo Zulu scratched the gate. Any of those, uh, any of those races, uh, you know, maybe turn you on a little bit.
2: Okay, uh, can I make think- one real quick, Caitlin, uh, real quick? Uh, when Jack Christopher yeah. changed leads, when he changed leads, he was already going to win the race. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the equine version of pouring it on. Uh, I guess it was I don't know what about a furlong and a half left, and Jose said, "Watch this." He's almost like he was just showing off, and it's like son of a bitch. <laughs> it's like yeah, Jack, uh, Jack Christopher for me.
1: I, I would agree. I was definitely going to say Jack Christopher, and really kind of echo what Alan just said. I'm not quite. Sh- His performance almost impressed me more than Flight Lines. Because everybody pretty much knew Flightline was that talented, maybe not to the degree of where he had everything go wrong and still win right. the way he did in past. Uh, I think Speaker's Corners probably got windburn from that race, but um, Jack Christopher still beat a pretty decent field. And like you said, they were pouring it on; they were showing off. That is the best three-year-old in this country.
2: It's like he hit turbo drive about, about a furlong and a half left the race. He's like, watch, watch me k- kick the jets on. It's like, damn. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was impressive.
0: I think we'll see him next in the Haskell at the end of July. I, mean, it, I think it's the end of July now. And, uh, yeah. Probably maybe taking on Epicenter at some point. That that would be a yeah. fun meeting That'd uh, be interesting. somewhere down the road, but uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, before we switch to the topic du jour, Let's talk about yesterday at Churchill Downs and our friend Michelle Lovell won the Mighty Bow Stakes for the second year in a row with just Mike, who yeah. is just an amazing horse. Horse has his second quarter is uh that's what makes him so special. He he yeah. that second quarter kinda just wears everybody else out and just and, and wins the race. And five furlongs to five and a half furlongs on, on dirt or turf is almost seems to be his specialty. So that was uh that was fun to to see him go 22-44 and pull away to win the mighty bow yesterday.
2: Yeah, it was a 50. I think it was 56 and two. And what was it was it Will Rogers said the the uh, rumors of my demise have been an exaggerated, block, something like that, or whatever. I know that scratched down to just I, mean, I know that race scratched down to uh, you know to where Just Might should have easily won the race. I mean, I understand that. Don't get me wrong, but that puts over the, him over the nine hundred thousand dollars mark. I mean, won easy 56 and two. Not exactly bad. Should he won the race, of course, but you know, uh you gotta put yourself in those positions as a trainer, as a as, as a horse, you put yourself in those positions where when things do fall your way that you can take advantage of it, right? And that's what he did. And that's that's the advantage of being able to run on turf for dirt, five furlongs, six furlongs. So and uh Michelle was in Georgia yesterday, so um uh, she made sure that me you know uh, that me and my daughter should be in a winter circle. So we're in a winter circle photo with uh, Chad and all those guys, so it was a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. So, uh, if you recall, last year I think we we all kind of thought he tailed off anyway because he I think he ran up the track in the uh, the race at Keeneland, the stakes at Keeneland, and then he ran on Derby or Oaks Day uh, off the board, and then he came back to win the Mighty bowl last year, and that set him up for a really good summer and fall at mm-hmm. Columbus Downs, and, and, and you know he wound up winning the big race, uh, the Thoroughbred Club at at, uh, at uh, Churchill. Uh, last september so yeah looking forward to more big things from from just mike so let's uh let's go on to the to the subject of the day now the reason we brought caitlin on is because uh she's uh, an expert in this type of racing and of course there's a a a special race meeting coming up uh it's uh doesn't last very long and you know there's, there's a lot of royalty involved in this uh in at this track and uh you know, it's, uh, there's a dress code that you have to abide by if you want to be in certain parts of the track. And of course, I'm talking about none other than Ellis Park. Caitlin, you ready to talk about Ellis Park?
1: Sure. Let's talk about Ellis Park. <laughs> we definitely I can do it. that. Tank tops. It's how does all get out? Not 100 degrees. So it's actually supposed to be like 100 degrees in Kentucky for Churchill this week, too. So we might as well, you know, do a dress rehearsal.
0: I'm sorry. I, uh, I had the wrong notes. I, that's I refer to Ellis Park as Redneck Ascot. Actually, <laughs> to Royal Ascot. That's what we're here to talk about. The
2: Royal one, yeah, the Royal one. <laughs>
0: the Royal Ascot. It's, it begins on Tuesday. Uh, for us, it's in the morning. Uh, probably most of the races will be over around twelve thirty, one o'clock. But uh, it runs Tuesday through Sunday. A lot of interest this year for uh, for us. Uh, the the Americans are going over, try to win a few races. Wesley Ward and. and Greg Grand Motion has some top contenders and uh, Caitlin is going to uh, to talk about uh, some of these some of these races some of these great races that we get to uh, we get to experience early in the morning so uh, Caitlin uh, tell us about what uh, Royal Ascot means to you.
1: You know being somebody that just really loves international racing and really loves turf, turf racing it doesn't get much better than Royal Ascot. Of course you have races you know like the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, um, the Melbourne Cup in Australia and other races like that but to take you know 10 or so grade ones, equally competitive group twos, fields of 30, 20 some horses, put them together for, you know, five days, A race me only having seven races on the card, which I think is perfect. And they're all, you know, about, I think it's an average of like 15 runners per field. There's some that you're going to have a little bit of a shorter field because there's going to be a huge horse in there that looms large, the Queen Anne, which I'll talk about first is a fantastic example of that. Um, But really, what Royal Ascot is about is coming to one of the most popular race venues in Europe and really just kind of showing how much the sport loves racing and also how much the sport appreciates and values what the Royal Family and the Crown has given to the sport. You know, they do their Royal, um, the Royal procession earlier on in the day. They all come, they all love racing, and I hope you know after her majesty is gone that they continue to race under the crown's colors i'm i'm guessing that prince charles and Camilla absolutely will, because they own some horses of their own so i hope to see this continuing going on for years and years but this is the queen's favorite thing in her life so i know she's been kind of pretty frail as of late but hopefully if she's not there she'll still absolutely be enjoying it from home but some of the best you know, exciting moments of her life have came here at this race course. She's won some of these races, and a lot of these races are named for members of her family. So this is really what it's about, kind of seeing the royal family horse racing and then just everyday gamblers all come together to just show how much they love these horses. So it's it's one of my favorite things, if not my favorite thing, about international racing.
0: And our friends over across the pond, they, they love to punt, or bet on these races. They love to bet on everything. They'll, they'll even bet uh, on what the queen's wearing prior to uh, the okay. races on the, on the Royal procession. If, if you know, if you had uh, a, what, what's your, uh, what's your top pick uh, just leading off, uh, what's your top pick on what color the queen's going to wear in the Royal procession if she shows up this
1: year? Yeah. If she shows up this year, she only came one or two days last year because it was something that her and Prince Philip did together. And I think it, you know, was kind of sad for her, but she there's no way she was missing it. She's definitely not in as good of health as she was last year. But if she comes, whatever day it is, I think we will maybe see her in yellow or purple.
0: There you go, right there. That's our, okay. uh, that's our first writing. game of the day. I'm writing that down. Write that down. Write that down. Uh, I don't know what the odds are on either of those, but maybe you can do an exact. Maybe she'll both. We'll uh, let's. I want to spend more more time talking about Tuesday. And then uh, we'll get into maybe some of the bigger races throughout the week. I want to talk a little okay. bit more. Tuesday is a huge day. I love this card. It may have uh, an impact on our Breeders' Cup later in the year. And it we're going to kick sure. off with the Queen Anne Stakes, which is a flat mile. It's a straight mile. And this race has been won by the likes of Frankel, Declaration of War, Coronado, our own Teppin. Teppin went over there and won with Julian Lepproot and Mark Cassie in 2016 and then of course last year palace pier who was probably considered the best miler in the world at the time so this year we have a new best miler in the world in the form of Bayed for jim crowley and the shadwell people uh caitlin the going to be a heavy heavy favorite is there any way is there anybody that can uh, upset the, the the uh the champion
1: no. <laughs> Easy answer, no. Easy I think Baid could do cartwheels and run backward down the straight at Royal Ascot, and he still wins by open lengths. This is just going to be an absolute procession. He'd have to drop William or Jim Crowley, I think, to lose this race, in my opinion. And really, for me, for the race between the best horse in the world is between Bayou and uh, Flightline. What Flightline is on the dirt is what Baid is on the turf. He's the best horse in my opinion, that I think we've seen on the turf since Frankel. He reminds me a lot of Frankel. I'm not really willing to give him that crown yet, but he's unbeaten. And he, he's, he just does everything with suchies, and he's he's really special. So I think we're going to maybe see a frankel s performance from Baid and the Queen Anne. Really the only horse that I would maybe have some interest in using underneath, because I think really that's the only opportunity you're going to have to make money in here is to maybe try to do uh, – a exacta or Superfecta and put some bombs in there. I'm particularly interested in lights on for Sir Michael Stout an Accidental Agent who won that this race actually three or four years ago, 4 years ago, still running at age 8, still a nice horse. So, I would be interested maybe in using those horses underneath Baid, but uh, I I don't see it going any other way.
0: Interesting to note that also in this race is Order of Australia who won the Breeders' Cup mile at Keeneland two years ago.
1: I could, so. I could have sworn he was retired. Uh, I Literally, uh, I, I I must have missed where this horse ever came back into training because they said they were retiring this horse to stud. They never said where he was going to stud. So And then all of a sudden I see him in the entries for this race like a few weeks ago, and I was like, I thought this horse was gone on the leg. So interesting to see him in well, here. I'm kind of not sure where he fits, but – He's been
0: ineffective ever since that Breeders Cup mile win, which is at what 70 to one that day. That was, uh, which I'm pretty bitter about because that knocked me out of all my pick fours. But that, anyway, that's for another podcast. Let's, uh, let's go on to the Coventry stakes. This is for two year olds. Now, Wesley Ward does not have an entry in here that, that I'm aware of, but one American does have an entry and that's Rusty Arnold who has late September. And late September is going to be a long shot here, but I believe he broke his maiden. Yeah, he broke his maiden on May 20th at Churchill, where he ran down Jeremy's jet late. And, of course, Jeremy's jet is a uh, trained by uh, Paul McIntyre, who's been on the podcast before. But uh, uh looks like this is a battle between uh, Persian force and Blackbeard. Caitlin, uh, I'll let you take it away from here. the uh, both are impressive. The Blackbeard, I think, is undefeated in three starts. Uh, he's already maybe a stakes winner by now. But uh, your thoughts on the Coventry?
1: Yeah, I definitely want to mention late September. I'm not really sure what he beat, not main special way, but I was there that day. And it was really impressive because I like Tibby and that race and um, hasn't broken his main yet. But Easy Big Boy has come back to run, you know, decent off of that race. But late September's pedigree really suggests more turf. So I kind of understand why Rusty Arnold thought about going here. The horse is by Munnings out of a Lemon Drop Kid mare. So, I mean, I think that makes sense. And kudos to him for taking a shot. Uh, Wesley Ward has proven that Americans can win over here. So stranger things have happened. But I've heard that some of these two-year-olds are much better than the crop of three-year-olds that, you know, are over there in Europe, especially for Aidan O'Brien. I've heard nothing but good things about Blackbeard. He would probably be the direction I would lean. He's the same price right now that I'm looking at on um, racing Post between him and Persian force. And I would probably lean toward Blackbeard in this race versus Persian force. I would kind of be a little bit surprised if it was anybody else. Age of Kings for Aiden O'Brien with Frankie up kind of perks my ears up a little bit. Um, You know, maybe Royal Scotsman for the whole family. Um, Anybody else I think would be a little bit surprising. So, Definitely want to talk about those. It looks like right now, late September is 25 to one. There's a few eight, 50 to one and hundred to one shots. Um, I think he'll maybe float up on that a little bit. You could probably get him at 30 to one if maybe you wanted to use him somewhere. Cause I think he's bred to do this. He's got Colin Keane up. Colin Keane's a fantastic jockey. So, you know, good luck to them. But I think this is going to be the Aiden O'Brien show here in the Coventry Stakes. Like it usually is. He's won in the past with Arizona, Caravaggio, um, War Command, and it's been a few years since he was won. And he won in 2019 with Arizona. Um, two years ago, Nando, Nando Parando uh, was 150 to 1. So there's Damn. been some upsets in this race. Yeah, um, 20 to 1, I've seen lately, 11 to 1, 11 to 1 last year with Berkshire Shadow. So a lot of crazy things can happen when you have a 17 horse field of quirky two year old Colts.
0: Aiden O'Brien's no won this race nine times. I think it's interesting, uh, Persian Force trained by Richard Hannon. Uh, uh, my stats say Richard Hannon is only 6 for 186 at Royal Ascot, So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe a, a, a time to fade this horse. Uh, Persian Force. Probably. i, I give you a, 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 just gave a cursory, cursory glance at this race and, uh, Brad Sell, was a horse I was interested in. He won easily at York last time in his first yeah. start. Maybe some room for improvement there. He, 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 got a nice, uh, I use these racing post ratings and then he was competitive with, uh, most of the top end except for Blackbeard, where Blackbeard's three for three. So, uh, just, uh, just interesting horse to me. But, uh, let's go on. Now the race I'm waiting for, this is, uh, this is going to be a fun race. This is the, the third race is the King's Stand Stakes, which is five furlongs. And this is going to feature a matchup between uh, our American Hope Golden Pal, of course, trained by Wesley Ward. And uh, he, of course, had a huge win at Keeneland. Prior to that, though, he won the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. And the his main or his chief competition is Nature Strip, who's shipping in from Australia down under. And uh, Nature Strip won the Everest Stakes last year, which is the, the Australia's... Version I assume maybe something like the Pegasus World Cup, right, or what what the Pegasus used to be, where you uh, where the owners put up money for the race. Caitlin, is that is that close? Uh, uh, The owners kind of fund the purse in that race, but it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, they're definitely kind of getting away from it a little bit, like they did in the Pegasus. But I think the idea was kind of taken and derived from what we've done with the Pegasus. But yeah, that's actually the richest turf race in the world. The the Everest is and definitely one of the most popular turf sprints. I'd say that race, the King's Stand here, the Platinum Jubilee and the um, Al Ghaz are kind of the trifecta or superfecta when it comes to turf sprint races along with the Breeders' Cup um, turf sprint. And Nature Strips won the Everest and Golden Pals won the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, as you said. Um, going to be a really, really exciting matchup. I don't know what direction I'm going to lean. I think Golden Pals is the best horse But I think the great equalizer is going to be the straight strip. Golden Powell ran second um, at Royal Ascot as a two-year-old to a horse uh, by the name of um, the Lear Jet. I'm sure we know the Lear Jet really well over here. He's running in the States. Um, Nature Strip can kind of sometimes be a quirky horse. So I'm anxious to see which one of them decides that they want to have an off day. (laughs) Hmm. So we'll see. And they're both shipping. And I will tell you, even though Golden Powell has ran well at Royal Ascot in the past, the street strip for him does kind of worry me because he doesn't really have that turn to kind of blast off of and almost re-break and kind of slow his momentum and then regain it on that, tur- on that uh, turn. He doesn't have that. He's going to be running the flat five and a half furlongs on the turf. So he's going to have to really blast out of the gate right there and, you know, really just keep going. And he's going to be the fastest course out of the gate without a doubt. He's going to have to play, come and catch me. And to do that, you know uphill and straight is easier said than done so i think there is an opportunity there for nature strip but you know golden powell can't hold on the all the way nature strip is a flop after the travel because he's never traveled before one horse that particularly interested me um would be king's lynn so that's one that i had a little bit of interest in um for her, Ma- her majesty the queen andrew bald david probert's gonna have them out that horse is just really kind of Coming to his own and starting to get really, really good, and he's the type of horse that's carried these heavier weights. They're all going to carry 133 pounds, and that's quite a deal more than Golden Powell's used to carrying in Nature Strip, too, for that matter.
0: Lady Aurelia won this race in 2017 for Wesley Ward. I, hard to believe that she was. Uh, according to this, she's seven to two uh, that year, but she she blasted off and won that by five or six lengths, as I recall. Two years ago, Batash was the first favorite since 2009 to win this race that's interesting so
1: I find it crazy that blue point was never favored in these races at any point because blue points uh one of the best turf sprinters we've ever seen of course he went on to do the unthinkable here at royal ascot which is when the king or when the king stand and then uh three days three or four days later go on to win the platinum jubilee so that only had been done one other time. and It was an Australian spinner by the name of Schwasier. So to see that yeah. done in, you know, modern day is really impressive. So Blue Point won this race twice and then went and won the, uh, then the, um,
0: Diamond Jubilee. Right.
1: Diamond Jubilee. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what was before Platinum. <laughs> they
0: used to be a thing long time ago. They, 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 that was no big deal to, to, they'd run Tuesday and then come back and run Saturday. I, I think, uh. You remember Alan, you remember a horse named, was it Cannonball for Ward and was it uh, Ward Ramsey's? Ramsey, I yeah. think they did that. I think they ran a on a Tuesday and then came back. That's several years ago and came back on a Saturday. I don't know.
1: And he ran he ran second or third in one of those races too. Yeah.
2: You see it every once in a while these days. You see it you'll see it in New York once in a while. A guy will run on a Monday, bring it back on a Saturday or a Sunday, it seems okay.
0: like. But didn't happen often. Rick Dutrow ran a horse on a, on but, a Saturday in a stakes, that's what I'm thinking of. and he came back the next day and ran at another track, like like Delaware and and Monmouth or something like that. Like ran on Saturday and Sunday, and the horse finished like fourth and third.
2: Oh, right.
0: it you does know, I tell you, that's, when, that's, when
2: trainers do that. You'd be surprised how often those horses come back to win. The percentage is actually that one to seven days stat we'll see in the form and the in the You'd be surprised how high the percentage is. You wouldn't think it would be, but, but it is, you know, but as I said, you know, it's a kind of a throwback deal to what, to what we used to see back way back in the day, even before our time.
0: All right. Let's go to the fourth fourth race on the card is the St. James's Palace Stakes. And, uh, another interesting race, uh, probably going to be a heavy favorite in here in the Godolphin horse for Charlie Appleby Croebus, who won the 2000 guineas at Newmarket at the end of April, and he's going to be a heavy favorite in here, Kalen.
1: Absolutely. I don't think, just like kind of the queen, and I don't think there's a lot of opportunity here to beat Karibis. He um, he beat Native Trail on the square in the uh, Guinea. The Native Trail, of course, has gone on to be a very nice horse. These two were the top two-year-olds, and Modern Games is also in that Godolphin barn, so absolutely loaded when it comes to three-year-olds for Charlie Appleby. He certainly has a... Way better hand than uh, Aiden O'Brien with the three year olds right now. And I think this may be his top one. Karibas, just a really, really special Colt. And honestly, I think he could maybe even handle the dirt if asked. i always kind of wanted to see him on the dirt. But when you look at time form, C ratings, my Prospero is the closest one that comes to him. And he's still six points ahead of my Prospero. So um, this is kind of the same race where you're maybe going to want to definitely play Karibas on top and then kind of get creative underneath because I don't think he loses this race.
0: I'm going to give you a bomb in here to play underneath the the okay. number three, Bayside boys, 66 to one. And I'm not sure who puts these odds out, but That's
2: this horse exact. is exact.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know this, this horse is better than 66 to one. He,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Last, last year he ran third in two grade one or group ones, as they say in Europe, in group ones. I think he was third in, uh, I can't remember the name of the race, but uh, it, it was, it was a solid two year old campaign. Let's just leave it at that. Horse is a little bit nutty. He kind of misses the brakes at some time or at times. Uh, he, he's had one start as a three year old and that was in the French 2000 guineas. He had a wide trip and I don't know if he was handling the ground all that well. I'm not saying he's going to be prohibus, but at, you know, at those odds, I think you can use him underneath in uh, whatever exact uh, trifecta, something like that, or just bet him to place and show, you know, in a big field, he'll, he'll pay something decent if he if he does hit the board. You know, you don't want to empty the count on a horse like this, but I think he's better than 66 to 1.
1: He would be one I would definitely take a look at underneath. There's a couple other ones maybe that you could sink your teeth in there. I think Berkshire Shadow yeah. would be one that maybe you would want to talk about. Um, Bayside Boy, I absolutely agree with that. Mighty Ulysses. Would probably be another one I would think of for John and Thassie Gotten and uh, Frankie Dator. I think sixteen to one is actually a little bit generous on him, so he may be one to look at as well. But yeah, there's definitely it's going to be a good and exciting race for second place in here.
0: It's crazy that the the first four races are all Group One, and Group Two, and then we get into the uh, the handicaps and the stakes races after that. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know anything about these races. You're talking about the Ascot Stakes and the Wolferton Stakes and the Copper Horse, Copper Horse, Copper Horse Stakes. Kaylin, is yeah. there anything in there that strikes your fancy? I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but
1: really, the only thing that I'm really kind of looking at would be the Copper Horse Stakes. Um, later on, it's going to be a field of 16. It's going to be a handicap, but there's some former really really nice uh, runners in this race. Uh, Red Burden was one time really good. Alenac is a good horse. Raymond Tusk is an old favorite of mine that usually runs really well. Ascot uh, Cleveland is three to one in there. And I think he's extremely vulnerable at that price. So at 33 to one, I'm actually quite interested in Raymond Tusk in this race and 16 to one on Allenac, a horse that has, you know, grade one quality in his past, I think is extremely exciting. And Red Verdant too, certainly strikes, uh, strikes me at 33 to one, but I think that's a super good betting race. There's maybe some other things in the Wolferton and the Ascot stakes. Um, Wolferton has some other pretty nice horses in it. Juan Ocano is a decent horse. Cadillac ran over here in the Breeders' Cup um, in one of the juvenile turf races a couple years ago and did really well. He's in there at thirteen to two, going to be the top hope in that race. But really exciting, you know, Group Ones, Grade Ones, early on in the card. Then you have some of these kind of complicated lesser races that still have some really good horses in it where you can definitely try to keep boosting that bankroll, but really, really good card races. And I'll be watching all seven of those races. And then there's so many more races later on in the week. We can talk about some of the other group ones and group twos. Certainly there's some runners Wednesday in the Queen Mary for, um, Leslie Ward, really nice field in the Prince of Wales, Duke of Cambridge, um, also do a really nice field as well.
0: I will say this about the races like the Ascot Stakes. They're two, this one is two miles, almost two and a half miles. And these, these races seem to be dominated by the, I guess they call them the, the hunt meeting horses. Uh, like yeah. uh, and the trainers are like Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott. I know they, they, they do very well or they've got the top two favorites in or the top two choices in the, uh, the Ascot Stakes. It so that's something to watch if you're if you're betting these races. Uh, those those guys are, are pointing for this meet for these really long races. Anything over you know probably mile and three quarters on up to two and a half. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. something to, to pay attention to. Uh, Wednesday, of course, is highlighted by the Prince of Wales Stakes. Queen Mary Stakes uh, leads off, and then of course the Queen's Vase. Uh, let's t- let's take a look at the Prince of Wales. Is uh Bay Bridge is a heavy favorite here. I'm not really familiar with that horse. Ryan Moore rides for Sir Michael Stout. That's uh, is he? He's kind of a a newcomer, right? He's not really, never been on this stage before.
1: No, he he's won a couple decent races, and I say decent. I mean, he's got some really nice Grade One form. But when I look at Bay Bridge and I look at the rest of this field, I can't see five to four in here. I wouldn't take five to one on him versus this field. I just truly don't believe he's that quality yet. I think it's maybe a little bit too much too soon. Let me look back very quickly and see what races that he has won and really who he's beaten. I think he's finished um, in front of some pretty nice horses though in the past, but I mean, to really kind of make him this big of a favorite this quickly. um, Actually, no, he won the grade three Brigadier Gerard, which is a really nice and productive race, you know, to kind of move forward for the rest of the year. Um, the Brigadier Gerard is a grade three. So this horse is stepping up against major, major Group 1 company. of is kind of past his prime. He's had He had a life-threatening infraction a few years ago, um, and I'm not sure he's going to get the ground he wants because he likes to run in a little bit of a softer surface, and they're not going to have a lot of rain or any rain at all coming for Royal Ascot. So I'd actually be a little bit surprised if of actually ran. I think he'll probably end up scratching, but we know Lord North. Is nothing to see He's about. Two time um, Dubai turf winner over um, at Maidan Sharar. Fantastic form um, in Dubai and for the rest of the year as well. He's a top, top runner from Japan. I think they've got a big chance in here with him. In state of rest, hugely impressive horse for um, Joseph O'Brien. Won the Cox plate in Australia and he actually won the Grade 1 Belmont Derby here in america so we know this horse can travel he's very well spotted um, i think state arrest is a really nice horse maybe in this uh, race he's stepping up heading in the right direction but i think the horse you really need to take seriously in here is Sharar.
0: Sharar is a son of deep impact that's the sunday silence line and the the horse is out of dubai majesty who won the breeders cup philly mare sprint for brett calhoun I know they sold her at auction for probably two million or something like that. Japan bought her, and, and here we go. Here's Sharar. Sharar ran third in the Japan Cup last November, and this is his second start of the year. He, he ran it, uh, Maidon in the, uh, in the turf, the big turf, mile and a half turf race there, I believe. And,
1: yep, and uh, he actually won the uh, Shima Classic. The she-
0: the she- she- right here. Yeah, right here. Yep. Yeah. One that should Shib- be, yeah, then it was a photo, right? A three horse photo.
1: That was, uh, that was Lord North in the Dubai Turf when they almost had the triple deck That's right. It was between, yeah. So, the Shima Classic was a pretty impressive performance, Sharar, but, um, there were a couple of horses that did fire in that race. Um, so it kind of fell into his lap de facto. And he also won the Japanese Derby. So, the distance that he's coming into on in the Prince of Wales, I think it's pretty much one of his better distances. Um, it's a little bit shorter than what he's used to. So I mean it could have maybe play into the hands for Lord North, but I think coming off a little bit of a break since the Dubai Shima Classic, I think it's kind of gonna hit this horse right between the eyes. But I also think it plays well into the hands of Lord North in State Arrest. Rest. Uh, Broom, also a really nice horse for Aiden O'Brien that can kind of sneak up, you know, into your um exotics underneath. So definitely wanna pay attention to Broom. As I said, would be really surprised if a day of Ran in this race. So, Lord North actually has won this race before. He won it two years ago. Uh, Love won it last year and kind of beat pretty much everybody in what was maybe one of her career best performances. But Lord North, Sharrar, and State of Rest, I'm definitely going to take them over Baybridge in this spot.
0: Let's back up a couple races. i glossed right over the Queen Mary stakes. This is going to be headlined by Love Reigns. For the, uh, from Wesley Ward's stable. And I think this is, uh, maybe you told me this. This is Wesley Ward's probably best hope to win a race. At, you know, if you think Golden Pals 50 50 with the Nature Strip, but, uh, Love Reigns is, uh, probably his best two year old so far. And he, he, uh, she'll run in the, uh, the Queen Mary stakes. Uh, also in here, uh, Rusty Arnold. Uh, lost him. Rusty's got one in here too. And. Grand Oak. Grand Oak. There it is. Grand Oak and it will be ridden by Colin Keane, but assess the chances of Love Reigns.
1: Wesley's had nothing but good things to say about Love Reigns. He's really just glowed over this filly, and she was super impressive at Keeneland, and she actually debuted on the turf. She didn't debut on the dirt like a lot of his um, other fillies have. I I think that's correct. Let me check it just to be sure that she did debut on the turf. That's right. She did. Yeah, but she ran an absolute hole in the wind. At Keelan, buy a U.S. Navy flag out of pivotal mare. She's Irish bred. She's bred to do this type of thing. Uh, Irad Ortiz is going to get them out on him, her. I thought it was, you know, a little bit interesting that instead of using Frankie or John Velasquez, like he's really used over at Royal Ascot and had a lot of success with, he brings Irad Ortiz over that doesn't have a lot of experience at Royal Ascot at all, but he is super familiar with Love Grains and he's familiar with Golden Pals. So I think that was kind of the reasoning behind this decision. But I thought it was just really just out of the blue, I thought, almost in a way. I, that You know, kudos to Wesley for putting that type of confidence behind Irad. So he's going to be on Love Reigns here. I think they've got an excellent chance. This is a gigantic field. There will be scratches. It will probably scratch down to about 25 or 25 horses. But, um, yeah, pretty big field here.
0: Uh, a ride's known for herding. Uh, I'd like to see the ride herd 24 horses. I wonder what that would look like. All right. So Thursday, Thursday is, uh, maybe this is the centerpiece of the meet. I would say it's the the day of the gold cup and the gold Mm -hmm. cup. It's a really, really cool race. That's,
1: uh,
0: it is. Yeah. It's over two miles to it says here, two miles, three furlongs and maybe just say call it two and a half furlong or two miles, two and a half miles. Excuse me. And you'll get horses that over the years that have won this race. Stradivarius won it three years in a row. I remember way back, uh, was it, uh, Yates for Aiden O'Brien? Yep. I think they said that really horse amazing. won Four. Yeah, he won four, four races. But in the past 10 years, horses like Order of St. George and whatnot, Stradivarius comes back and tries to win his fourth. And, uh, he's probably, he'll be one of the top choices, but he's not the top choice. It looks like it's going to, the to go to uh, Kiprios from the Aidan O'Brien barn, Caitlin. Uh, let's talk about the talk about the Gold Cup.
1: Yeah, Gold Cup really exciting race. Um, really, my pick in this race that the ground came up correctly would be Truchon, but Truson is not going to get the soft ground that he wants, so I'd say Truson is a non-runner. Um, Princess Zoe's still going to run. She's a very very nice mare. She probably wants a little bit softer ground than Truson, and I think she's still going to run no matter what so she's got a shot um I'm actually a little bit surprised they brought Stradivarius back for another year because I think he just kind of seemed really over the top last year and I thought he was all out to win a grade two um about a month ago still won though but um I can see why Stradivarius is in this race because he's going to get the ground conditions he wants this is one of the best races you know for him this is his race So I see why Stradivarius is in here. I certainly do think he's got a shot. Would I bet him at nine to four against this group? Absolutely not, because I definitely think he's seen his better days. But Kiprios is one of the ones that everybody's pretty much gravitating to with Truchon probably coming out on the ground being pretty hard because I think Kiprios wants that type of ground. And I think he's definitely the one that would be most likely to really give stradivarius a run for his money scope i don't think is going to run either because i don't think he's going to get a get his ground so really one that i would probably be interested at a price would probably be tashcon that's a horse that's really seemingly coming into his best and is rated pretty equally with a a lot of these horses and 33 to 1 right now on the live odds it looks like why can't he win this race
0: all right. That's, uh, yeah, you got to watch this race. Everybody, it, it's, it's a great, it's a great race. You just it's, it's so cool to watch these horses stay like this and at the top level. So, uh, one more race I want to talk about. Of course, there's two group ones on Friday, the Commonwealth Cup and the Coronation Stakes. And mm-hmm. the Coronation Stakes features two Americans in Spinderella and Pizza Bianca. Yep. Uh, my question to you. Caitlin is uh, how do I, I think highly of Spinderella and well I mean pizza Bianca is is, is the uh, reigning breeders Cup juvenile uh, Philly turf winner how do they stack up in this spot they're they're double digits odds according according to this uh, bookmaker what what your thoughts on the you know can, can Spinderella run with these
1: I think Spinderella can I'm not sure pizza Bianca can Um I still would maybe have a hard time seeing Spinderella winning, but uh, Grand Motion doesn't bring his horses places unless he thinks, you know, they can win and he attracts the attention of William Buick. That's nothing to sneeze at in the slightest. So I definitely think that they have a really good shot in here. But I, I don't think Homeless Songs is going to run. It may be a little bit too quick for her, and she's also one that's pretty ground-dependent, so I would be surprised to see if she won. But you're also going to be seeing the Philly champion in Inspiral coming back, and she is she is phenomenal. And if she runs to where she's capable of coming off the layoffs, it's going to be her first start this year. She's had a little bit of setbacks. But if she runs to her capabilities, she's going to be a heavy, heavy, heavy contender in here. Cachet, Discoveries, Mangustine, also all grade one winners that are in with a huge, huge chance. So this is an absolutely loaded race. Tanae Brism for um, Aiden O'Brien. She goes elsewhere, I believe. Um but yeah, this is as good as a as a group uh, group one as I've ever seen over there on the throw and Spindarella and Pizza Bianca, two of our top level three year old fillies, probably the top two turf three year old fillies over here in the United States. To so throw them in there, um, wow! I'm really excited for this race.
0: Uh, something to keep track of maybe during the week. I've got this. I don't know if this these stats are accurate, but uh, trainer jockey combinations: John mm-hmm. Gosden and and Frankie Dettori. And John Gosden and William Buick, those, those pairings make up two of the top five jockey trainer combos at Royal Ascot. Uh, Gosden and Notori have uh, 13 wins. Gosden and Buick have 9 wins. So Gosden and Buick, of course, team up here with his favorite in, in Spiral in the, uh, in the Coronation Stakes. That's something to maybe keep track of. Uh, obviously the top trainer is going to go to the top jockeys. That's, that's nothing new. So. But, uh, uh, Kate, we go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off.
1: I was going to say, one other thing I wanted to mention about this race that I think is particularly cool is discoveries that you see in here for Jessica Harrington. If you look down in the most recent winners from the past 10 years, you'll see Alpha Centauri and Alpine Star for Jessica Harrington as well. And those are actually Discovery's sisters. So hmm. this race really runs in the family.
0: Alpha Centauri, didn't she have a career cut short? She was like really something. Special, right? At the time, it seems like it she. Special. Yeah, she won. Uh, maybe she. Yeah, she won this race, and then then it was like sky's the limit. And then a few weeks later, she retired to injury, as I recall.
1: Yeah, she got hurt in a race where she was beaten by Lawrence. Um, actually, I think she had a fracture um, right there at the end, um, getting toward the line, and Lawrence went past her because she got hurt. But she still hung on for a very, very gallant second. I think she was only beaten by a head with a, pesmoid um, fracture. So she was, she was phenomenal. And her sister Alpine star was good as well. And then discoveries is amazing too. Alpha Alpsantari is one of my um, favorite fillies from across the pond within the last 10 years or so. So I, I was sad to see her, her retire, but she's, she's been, she was awesome. And it was exciting to see her win this race. I think she's maybe one of the best winners we've seen at this race in recent times. Sky lantern was good and winter was good. Um, too, but there's just been some really, really exciting Phillies win this race.
0: Kaitlyn, what resources do you use to, uh, to, to analyze these races?
2: She doesn't oh. sleep and she watches them all day long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, too. Really, obviously, having watched a lot of these horses for several years and just being familiar with them, but Racing Post provides a lot of very valuable information because we kind of can't get that information over here, you know, Bloodhorse, DRF, Brisnet. They offer some past performances for these races, but if you really want to get deep, deep into it, uh, Racing Post has great tip sheets. They have good past performances. They have the full race card where you can break it down kind of horse by horse. So I've really been using um, Racing Post, and I listen to a ton of podcasts. Geared Toward Royal Under Understarters Orders has good ones. And at the races, which is basically, you know, either the Churchill Downs, today or the TVG what have you of Europe they do pre shows before all of these races and they did like a big bulk pre show last week that i think was like 2 hours long that i listened to on my drive down to Louisville this past week um so there's tons of resources out there but really listening to experts across there and obviously seeing it with your own eyes on tip sheets and past performances but it's it's out there and it's a little bit more accessible than it is here in the United States i will say that
2: if I may, real quick, uh, one of the things about Caitlin, this isn't an act, right? This, this, this is your passion. This, this is not to be underestimated. This is not uh, some young girl just getting the game. You love, I mean, to quote the, the king, the the queen's English. You love this shit, right? I mean, you really do. You live <laughs> this and breathe this, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Especially these races like this. Of course, I, you know, love what I do at Churchill Downs, but. Turf racing really is something that I love. Just seeing what they have that we don't have across the world is these top turf horses that stay around for years and years and years on end. Breeding is not put first in any country but ours. So you get to see these horses run for so long and then seeing them all come together for a Breeders' Cup type festival at Royal Ascot. You get the Royal Family, you get degenerate gamblers, and you get people in just exceptionally beautiful outfits and you get the best horses in the world. I, I can't think of anything better.
2: Uh, my, one of my hopes is, cause you know, what I think If you, I think your, your career is on an upper trajectory and it's, it's every bit deserving is that you do get to go over and cover this in the future and stuff. And I, I can't think of anybody better for it. And I do hope that happens in the very near future because to say that you would be excited to do that would be an understatement of epic proportions, would it not?
1: Absolutely. That's, that's definitely the goal I'm hoping to inspire as well. Maybe want to get super involved with international racing and maybe want to consider doing that because I think there's so much value there, especially with so many in your ends, you know, this week for the Breeders' Cup. And this is the first time Royal International is, or Royal Ascot has felt super, super international, definitely since pre-COVID, probably within the past five or six years, just because they changed a lot of their shipping and quarantine rules. Um, getting top horses from the United States, Australia, Japan, Hong Kong. I mean, Dubai, you just, you can't see that anywhere else, but here. Yeah. Because I, people from Australia and definitely not as much Japan after what happened last year, but Australia, Hong Kong, New Zealand, they're not going to want to shift to the United States when a lot of their big races are going on at the same time as the breeders cup is. So this is really, you know, this, and, um, Dubai World Cup night are really the only chances you're ever going to see that.
2: You know, it's the Twin Spires people. You've already have a built in, you can call it the blonde across the pond. I mean, I mean, I think it writes <laughs> itself right. Uh, you wouldn't take any offense at that, right? As long as they say go. Uh, I, so I hope that does happen in the future. I mean, I, to me, it's a no brainer. Uh, but if we, if we, if we, could go just a second before we, you know, we, we end this, if we talk about your, what you're doing at Churchill Downs now, because, you know, admittedly I'm biased because we're friends. You and Cece are friends. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Uh, do you want to talk about how the Churchill gig has went so far?
1: It, it's went great. I have all the respect in the world for Churchill, to inspires Brisnett for, for the opportunity they've given me and especially for Joe Christophe and Scott Shapiro for really taking me under the wing, kind of showing me the ropes to a lot of this type of thing and they've just been so pivotal in everything and just showing me things and then kind of giving me tips and kind of writing a lot of you know different plans for me and then this year kind of just going on autopilot and seeing how it works the three of us clicked together just so so well so I, I've just really enjoyed it also have to say our boss Keith Wetzler has been super super flexible super easy to get along with and really has given me a lot of really good constructive criticism that's made all of this work. So we just have the best team there. Um, I'm a little biased. I definitely think Churchill offers some of the best racing in the country. That's for sure. So we get the best horses. We get a horse crop I'm familiar with in Kentucky, and I'm working with and for people that are easy to get along with. There's no drama. Our higher-ups are fantastic. And really, this is a company that I can definitely say, like, the higher-ups, the presidents, the vice presidents, the people on the board at the track, they come to the track every day, and they literally can just come up and just give me a hug or something like that, and it's no big deal. Like, I feel like these people are my friends. So that's something that's made me super, super comfortable is I feel like – I mean, obviously, I have to walk the talk, so to speak, and right. do my job. But these people aren't, like, putting the fear of God. And me or anything and making me uncomfortable and really feeling like I'm on the chopping block to succeed. It's an easy place to succeed in because they take care of you and everybody's nice. Uh,
2: well, you know, I'm biased. You know, we talk about all the time. You And I, I know Cece agrees with this. We're, we're picky, but we think you're doing a fantastic job. You really are. It, it, it comes across. And, uh, you know, I've already told you this, but I wanted other people to know that you are, you're doing a, a wonderful job. They're, they all do a wonderful job there. Uh, that's why we, that we sing the praises off a lot. So, and something else I ought to mention, uh, you know, one thing about you in particular, it's always taken me aback, right? Impress me. You're only 26, all this stuff that you've spout, you've learned in an amazingly short amount of time. That's what I continuously talk about with you. What? Eight, 10 years. This is a condensed, I mean, you can get into this like, like your late teens, right?
1: I was about 14 when I really started getting into it and really just absorbing that type of material. Um, I have pretty much never had a social life. I actually went out with my boyfriend and my friends um, and had a night out for the first time in 2022. Um, We did something for New Year's, but we stayed home because the bars were just packed and there was so many things going on. But yeah, I actually got to get out and do some stuff this weekend for a friend's birthday. But yeah, this is... This is my life's passion. I, you know, I don't work to live. I live to work because I love all of this so much.
2: And and I bring this up about that you're 26 because you're getting ready to be 27, right? When, with June, like a week, really a week?
1: Uh, uh, June 29. So I guess that's more like two weeks. But yeah,
2: yeah. Don't age yourself too quickly, because trust me, (laughs) you start to get away when you get to me and Cece's age, right? All right. Before we head out
0: you know, on the theme of the show, Alan, I've got a few questions for you and, and Caitlin, you can chime in too. Probably oh, you, you probably shouldn't. You may, may want to stay out of this just to save your career, but to Alan, I'll, <laughs> we'll go to you. Uh, who's your, who's your favorite British monarch?
2: Oh, my favorite British monarch, Prince Rogers Nelson. You know who that is? I do not. He's the guy that sings Purple Rain and Let's Go Crazy. Is that what you're talking oh, about? That, yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he's a Canterbury guy. My favorite queen, uh, does Michelle Lovell count? No. Uh, uh Queen Victoria. That name comes to mind. What'd she do? And I don't I don't know. We didn't get that far she in was, world history.
1: She was the longest reigning monarch before Queen Elizabeth, and I believe Queen Elizabeth is her great great granddaughter or great granddaughter, something like that.
2: Well there you go, I'll go with Queen Victoria. What else you got?
0: So the correct answer is Henry the
2: Eighth. Oh, yeah, yeah, he spread it around a little bit, didn't he? That guy was nuts. He was nuts.
0: <laughs> okay. I, mean,
2: uh, guys, I know what uh, he did to some of his wives. I know what he did to Anne Boleyn. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, if uh, we, we alluded to Ellis Park earlier, as the, or I did, as the redneck ascot, if, <laughs> if Ellis Park had a daily royal procession prior to the races, Ooh. who would be in the carriage?
2: Who would be in the carriage? Royal well, carriage. First, well, first of all, they'd be, they'd be traveling on camels and ostriches, right? Because that's what they do every, uh, they, they do the same promotions every year, like clockwork, camel races, ostrich races, and races. So I guess they'd be coming on those. Who'd be leading the processions? Um, Jerry Joe Greenwell, the late cowboy Jones. Um, who else would there be? Oh, where, where's some other names? Jason Anybody, anybody from the L- LaRue family? I would think, um, God, there's so many to choose from, right? John Court. That's a good one. Yeah. go with John Court.
0: All right. And then last but not least, if they made a James Bond movie and you had to pick one Kentucky horse person to fill that role, who would you choose?
2: Oh, can I pick a female?
0: You can do whatever you you
2: you want. Because I'll pick Sarah Hamilton. You know why? Because she trained a horse called Golden and that sounds like a James Bond movie. Can I go with that? I think
0: it, it is a gold. Uh, it is a uh, James. It Bond. is. Right.
2: Uh, I think you might. Truth be told, I've seen one James Bond movie in my life. Believe it or not, and you know, it's shot. Is it Goldfinger? It's a gold finger. Right? It's a gold finger, right? It's a Golden Eye. I don't know, but I'm picking Sarah Hamilton anyway.
0: Okay. Well, uh, who would you? Have you seen any James Bond movies?
1: I have not actually and Goldeneye um is a James Bond movie. It came out in nineteen ninety five, GoldenEye night oh oh seven. So there you Uh-oh. go.
2: There you go. All right. Okay. See um, right
0: about I that. See yeah. All right. On that note I think we should uh, call it a night. And uh we want to thank Caitlin Free for replacing Brandon Jaggers this evening. And uh Caitlin, uh, you did a fine job as as you always do, and uh, we're grateful to have you. Anytime that you wish to join us,
2: and she knows that. Well, thank you. <laughs> and certainly, well, be, certainly, anytime. It's interesting to see who people seem to prefer. Who's a little more informative, Caitlin or Brandon? Maybe we should do a poll. It's going to be close.
0: Oh, well, Brandon, every day of the week,
2: every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, me. caitlyn well, uh, uh, Caitlin, who who is Aristides? <laughs>
1: Oh Here's your trip. First, first horse to win the Kentucky Derby. There's actually a statue of him in the rose, or er, in the rose garden. So um nobody knew that. You do know.
2: Well, there was a. I think our calls may have been stumped by that not too long ago, but it was it was adorable to hear. So can't <laughs> <laughs> already one up endearing. on. It. I thought so. All
0: right. All right. Let's hit the road. So on behalf. Of Alan Schneider and Caitlin Free and, of course, the absent Brandon Jaggers, this is CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.